is going to have a hard time probably signing this. But he's a selfless man. He uh, has been working with me and teaching me sign. And I have a long ways to go. But I am in love with this man. I appreciate him. And I'm thankful that you're a part of our ministry right now. We understand it may be temporary. But if you see his dedication, hopefully it will rub off on all of us. And we will love each other as Christ loved us. So let's get started today with our message. His arms are probably going to fall off because it's a full <laughs> service. But we will be in Luke chapter 2 today. So take your Bibles. Has anyone ever heard of Abraham Shakespeare? Abraham Shakespeare. A couple of you are nodding yes. This isn't Abraham from the Bible. Abraham Shakespeare. On November 15th, 2006, Abraham Shakespeare received what most in the world would consider to be great news. He just won $30 million in the lottery. The Lakeland native was a poor, unemployed truck driver. His tax report from the previous year said $32 is what he made. He was an ex-convict who was as far from a millionaire as could be imagined. But then he won the lottery. It was a $17 million lump sum payoff. But was this good news? Most would say, yes, he's a multimillionaire. But as the last couple of years have shown, it was far from good news. In the time after his winning everyone, all of his bad friends came calling. He gave roughly $3 million away of his money before he received his first paycheck. His payment. Every crook on the planet came knocking on his door. Then before a year had passed, he was sued by a person who he had given the money to to go into the store to buy the ticket. He won the case, but it was a long fight and cost money. Now there's new news about Abraham. He's suspected to be dead. Three years after he won the lottery. Apparently one of his so-called friends may have killed him over money. I read in an article this week, his mother said that winning the lottery was the worst thing that ever happened to the man. 
and now she was concerned her son was dead. Well, here is a case where good news ends up being what? Bad news. It was just temporary happiness, not lasting joy. Now, today, on the other hand, we're going to look at the finest news the world has ever received. And it's news for you also. It can cause lasting joy for you for eternity. It's the greatest news ever given. Today, we're going to look at the finest news the world has ever received. In background, we noticed last week, we saw the king's arrival. We saw the king's arrival under the divine sovereign's work. That is the king himself, God himself, and his plan. We saw he was the promised Davidic king of Israel. We saw he was a humble servant king that was laid in a feeding trough. Now today we're going to see good news of the king's arrival begins to spread and go out all over. Today we're going to look at the greatest news the world has ever received. Look at your Bibles in Luke chapter 2 verse 8 through 11. Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. In the same region... There were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David... There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Today, we're going to examine this announcement of this good news of great joy for all people. We're going to see three aspects of this announcement. First, the recipients of the good news. You can follow along in your bulletin and, and fill these in. The recipients of the good news. Second, we're going to see the messenger of the good news. And then finally, we're going to see the subject of the good news. Then next week, we will look at the response to this good news. I want to challenge you to embrace the news. Think about the news. For this week, this news should have a lasting effect on your life. Hopefully, you will go out of this place changed. You will be reminded of who God is and what he's done. So to summarize the passage, we're going to examine the announcement of the good news that a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. Let's start with the recipients of the good news. The recipients of the good news were unexpected shepherds. How many times have we already seen this in the book of Luke? The unexpected ones receive the good news. Whether it was Zacharias and Elizabeth or Mary the Virgin and Joseph, here again it's shepherds, unexpected recipients of the good news. There were some shepherds is what it says in the passage. Shepherds were lower class citizens. 
they weren't the uh, people that made lots of money. In today's society, farmers are usually big. They're the small, the day of the small farmer is going away. So the big farmers, the big people that had cattle and things like that, they make lots of money today. However, in that day, shepherds, small shepherds, were lower class citizens. Shepherds were known, were rather not known as religious people. They weren't pure people. When they walked into Jerusalem, these people would probably, people would go to the other side of the road. They were unclean. They dealt with animals. They dealt with all that, uh, all the bad things of the sheep. If the world was picking first to hear the good news, they would not have been picked. But, as we've seen, Jesus rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, who did he pick first to show himself to? Again, the unexpected one, Mary Magdalene, remember? The first person that saw him was Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene what? She was the lady that had had seven demons in her that he had casted out. God picks to show this good news to the least likely of recipients. And again, this is how our God works. He doesn't rate based on society's thinking. He doesn't look and say, oh, well, this person has a big bank account, so I'm going to show him. He looks at the ones, in fact, often the poor ones, the outcasts. What does that do for us? Well, I have to confess, I, I hear a lot of complaining in our country. Do you hear it? Stand in line. I, we hear it all the time, people complaining. We wonder, well, why are we complaining? If you go to a third world country, by the way, we're hoping to have a mission trip to Honduras again. And I, I want you all to pray about that. If any of you are interested in going, anyone, we're going, we're looking at June, what did I say? 5th through the 12th. 5th through the 12th. It'll be a week and we're going to do some mission trip. I want you to consider doing that. If you go to a foreign country, <laughs> you'll see what it really means to live in a hard situation. And when I went over to Myanmar, I, I, I was wondering, why is it that the pastors are all just, wow, I want to hear this, I want to hear this. They live in poor circumstances. That's what God's about. He's about the outcast. He begins working in these people's hearts. I want to challenge you. You are rich. Everybody in this room, you're rich. Even the poorest in here are rich. But God, God is about the outcast. Why? Because they're humble. They're lowly. They're needy people. They don't think they got it all figured out. God is about the outcast. Remember, he's doing it over and over and over again. This is how God is. He goes to the unexpected recipients. Also, he's, he comes under the cover of night. They receive this news. Notice, they were staying out in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. Now, <laughs> these shepherds worked out in the field constantly, day and night. Shepherds would work shifts through the night to protect and protect the sheep. 
And in many cases, they would be the only ones awake during the night other than robbers and the things that were trying to steal the sheep, the animals. So the shepherds would be the only ones. And this is when God chooses to announce the arrival of his son? At the cover of night? Over and over, God's ways of revealing things are totally different than the way we would think. Think about it. If, if our president wanted to make a great announcement, when would he pick to do it? He would pick primetime television. Why? So everybody would know about it, right? He would make the announcement and everybody would see it. Here is the God of the universe, the king of the universe, and when does he pick to make the first announcement of his son's arrival? Under the cover of night. What does this say about our God? This says that God's thinking is different than our thinking. He's not always about the pomp and circumstance. He's not always about showing off. Here is the baby in a manger. The ones that find out are shepherds under the cover of darkness. I just, again, I cannot stress this enough. The way we think as humans is often opposite of the way God thinks. I want to challenge you. You may think, oh, I've got God figured out. He's just like I think he is. Oh, I hope you stop. Look at the scriptures. God thinks different than you. He acts different than you. You ask, why is he doing it this way? Don't be surprised. That's the way he is. He thinks different than you. Notice also their unsuspecting recipients. The unsuspecting news. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. These shepherds weren't like Simeon and and Anna that we'll see about later on in Luke chapter 2. It appears that they weren't even looking probably for the Messiah. And who in the world would have guessed an angel just shows up? Suddenly, apparently, taken back by the angel. But ultimately, the news the shepherd received that night was not good news just for them. It wasn't just for them. It was also good news of great joy For all people. See the passage? Oh, if you underline your Bible, this is one to underline. Some uh, theologians like to try to say that this is only talking about Jewish people, the all people. I'm sorry. It's not. It's all people. All people here means with all people without distinction. The news grows out, and it's great news for all people groups. This is something we're going to see over and over and over again. The news of the Messiah, the king, would be for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and everybody in this room. This is good news. You want to hear about it. Let me ask you a question. Back to our story of Abraham for a second. If I were to say right now, I have $10 million in my pocket. And I said, line up, I'm giving you each your portion. 
How many of you in here would say, that's great news? Yeah. But if it ended up, and your life ended up like Abraham Shakespeare, that wouldn't be good news. I have good news for you. And it's good news for everybody in this room. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Like you. And this isn't just an evangelistic, one-time, get-saved kind of thing. This Savior is now and forever, and He's my Savior today, like He was way before. That's good news, isn't it? Jesus came to give us great joy. Is there joy over that news? No. Let's just get this sermon done so I can go home and get warm. <laughs> no, that's great news, isn't it? Does that bring joy to your life? I hope so, folks. Because that's where our hope is found. And that's where our lasting joy is found. It's in Him. While the Messiah was first for Israel, it's for all people. And why is this great news? It's because all of us are needy people. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, I started back with devotions in Genesis again for the new year. This week we covered the flood with Noah. We talked about Noah. And he brought seven pairs of clean animals onto the ark. Why? As we went along, right before it, it said, Noah's a righteous man. Righteous, he's a good man. He's, for all intents and purposes, a holy man. Why? These seven clean animals. Why a sacrifice? Well, after all, he avoided the wrath of God. He must have been a good guy. He didn't get the flood. Why? The clean animals. Well, Abraham knew it, or Noah knew it. What did he know? As soon as he got off the boat, he killed the sacrifices. Why did he kill the sacrifices? Because he's a sinner, saved by grace. And he had a family full of sinners that needed an atonement, needed a sacrifice. And as soon as he got off, he made the sacrifice. Why did he make a sacrifice of animals? Because it was pointing forward to an ultimate sacrifice. Would be who? The Savior. It was looking forward to. He knew he needed a Savior. He knew he needed a sacrifice. And ladies and gentlemen, when the good news broke and the shepherds heard, there's great news, good news of great joy a Savior's been born. That's all part of the good news. This is good news for all of us. Next, we'll look at the messenger of the good news. Notice, the next messenger of the good news. The news comes from an unexpected messenger. The reporter, as it may be, was a supernatural messenger. It says, and an angel of the Lord stood stood. Sudden, or suddenly stood before them. Again, this isn't the angel of the Lord from the Old Testament. Most likely, just an angel of the Lord. An angel sent by God. 
It appears he supernaturally just appeared in the scene, on the scene. Probably arrived literally out of thin air, which had... Uh, which, which would just heighten the whole fear that would be invoked by the angel's appearance. The angel is not described other than to say that he was of the Lord, which means he's from the Lord. Because he was the Lord, because he was from the Lord, he was trustworthy. His news was exactly what he had described it to be: good news of great joy. Now, just a side note here. Many people in the history of the world have made claims of being visited by angels. <laughs> I won't have you raise your hands. <laughs> Anybody in here? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody in here been visited by an angel? If so, don't tell me. <laughs> the proof of the accuracy of whether an account of a visiting of an angel is whether the message exalts the right person. Did you get that? That's so important. You say, why, Mike, are you making such a big deal about this side note of an angel visit? Well, because do you know how many religions are based off this concept? I went to research a little bit. The Gnostics, the early false religions, they all made claims. And by the way, Madonna's... Uh, False religion, Kabbalah, is associated with this Gnostic concept. And they had interactions with angels. Second, the angel Moroni. Who's heard of that? The angel Moroni visited who? Joseph Smith of the Mormons. Again, an angel visited is what his claim is. A false claim. How about this one? The angel Gabriel. Angel Gabriel. Well, everybody says, yeah, Gabriel's in the Bible. Yeah. Guess who he visited, supposedly? Mohammed. Yes. The whole religion of Islam. Their founder was visited by, supposedly, Gabriel. There's more. An Italian writer. Another lady. Everywhere you look, people are visited by angels, supposedly. What is common? What is common? The, message, the messenger exalts, in these cases, the one receiving the message. Muhammad gets exalted. Joseph Smith gets exalted. People get exalted. Not Jesus Christ. Delineation. This messenger exalts who? Christ. The good news. Over and over again, one thing's clear. Those visits are about exalting mankind. This visit is about exalting Jesus Christ. Here, as we've seen, the other, and like the other two visits to Luke, it's about the coming Messiah. That's what it's about. But here, as we've seen, God is accompanied by God's glorious presence. Notice it says, a glorious messenger. The glory of the Lord shone around him. This could be a reference to the presence of the Lord, like in the Old Testament. 
It's the Shekinah glory where the Holy of Holies was filled with the, a cloud of God's presence. It's described in 2 Chronicles 7, a visible appearance of God's presence in cloud. Now, there's no person, there's no person, but there's a cloud, somewhat of light, that appears to be the glory of the Lord's presence. To validate the messenger, to say, in effect, this is the truth. This comes from God. And they are intimidated by it, aren't they? The shepherds are intimidated because he's an intimidating messenger. One could think, one thing is common. When angels really appear to people, what happens? Fear. Great fear. They were terribly frightened. This isn't how it's described. Even Mohammed, when he describes his angelic visit, he says, at first I was a little afraid, but it's okay now. It wasn't bad. I'd have a hard time getting myself up off the ground, I'm afraid. The way that the Bible describes God's angels as holy, terrifying beings. But mankind does what to God's holy, awesome angels and his fear and who he is. What does mankind have a tendency to do? What do we do? We lower it. We minimize it. We make it no big deal. I'll give you an example. Look, I got two pictures. Pictures of angel. This account. This account. These are famous pictures. Look. Here we go. Can you see it? Ah, yeah. Fear. Ah, scare, right? Give me a break. Look at these. Look. First of all, a couple of notes about this. What do we do with angels? Always. We always put them with wings. Did the passage say they had wings? No, they don't. Okay, so they might not have wings. Now, there is a place where they fly, Isaiah 6. But often, they might not even have wings. Sometimes they appear as men. By the way, the sex of an angel, that is, uh, whether they're male or female, they're always what in the Bible? Male. Always. I challenge you, find me a place in the Bible where there's a female angel. Come to me anytime. Show me one, please. They're not there. What are we doing? She's a sweet angel, ain't she? Are you afraid of that? I'm not afraid of that. Even the the shepherd's like, yeah, cool. Come on. Here's another one. I don't know if you can see it. But it's a common thing. Look at this. Babies. What in the world? What are we doing? The Bible never describes a baby angel. Never. Especially naked babies. Come on. And this is famous art. What's the point? Minimize the fear of God. In all cases... Put God down on my level where I can handle him. Even in our art, we think opposite of God. 
We make God easy to handle. I can handle a baby angel. But if he's a terrifying thing that kills 100,000 men in one night, whoa. Don't want to talk about him then. God is a holy God, folks. What are we doing? We're repainting God to be like us. When these angels or when these shepherds saw the angels, they were terrified. Just a side note. How about you? Are you terrified of God? Now you say, what about first John? It says, Love casts out all fear. Well, if love casts out all reverential respect and honor of God, then you've forgotten who God is, and that's not what he's talking about in 1 John. If love says, okay, well, I can do whatever I want because God's my friend, I'm okay, then that ain't genuine biblical love. That's a lack of honor and respect for holy God. When I think of Genesis account, the flood, you know what I think of? God is a wrathful God. He takes serious sin. Maybe billions of people died. Billions. God's a holy God. How do you take your sin? Do you take it serious? Is purity important to you, men? When... When we hear a sermon about the tongue, do we take it serious? Do we care what God thinks? Do we take serious God? I'm afraid we don't. We don't really, we're not reverentially in awe of God's holiness. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't understand the good news until you start there. You can't get it. You won't enjoy the glories of God and the joy of knowing Christ until your first, your heart is in awe of the holiness of God. That's where we have to start. How do you see your sin in light of a holy God? There's a holy, powerful, awe-inspiring being in front of these shepherds, and they're broken, and they're ready, and they're terrified, and they're ready for some good news. Notice what the messenger says. Don't be afraid. Their hearts, their attitudes are ready. They were primed. They were primed and ready for some good news. Are you there? Or maybe we should stop the sermon. <laughs> you know, I often hear, well, you know, that's that salvation stuff at the beginning. Yeah, I had that. Ladies and gentlemen, I think you got to have that ongoing. A fear of the Lord is a good thing. And I'm not talking about a fear of man. I'm not talking about a do's and don'ts type thing where you're afraid of somebody seeing you do a sin. 
I'm not talking about that. And an awe-inspiring fear of God, a good thing. For it's not until you're crushed over your sin do you really understand the good news of Christ. And the longer you walk with Christ, the more tempted you're going to be, Christian, to go back to that nonchalant, non-fearing God mode. And oh, we use phrases like this, but God's a gracious God. Somebody points out something to us and they say, well, you shouldn't be doing that. The Bible says don't do that. And we say, but God's a gracious God. What is that? That's an excuse. That's not a fear of God. It should be this. You're right. I'm responsible for killing my son, his son. That sin killed him. Are you ready for good news? Do you have a holy fear of God? Are you afraid of God in a good way? Well, there's good news. The subject of the good news. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in a cloth and lying in a manger. So as we see here, the subject of the good news is Jesus. It's Jesus. Notice, he's the subject of the good news. As we have mentioned numerous times from this pulpit, the subject of the gospel is not you. Did you get that? The subject of the gospel is Christ Jesus. He is the gospel. We often, when we present the gospel, we think it's do this, do that, do this. Pray this, pray that, get baptized, then you are a believer. And then you are saved. The object is all on what? The person. What you must do. Instead of what? The subject of the gospel, which is who? Christ. Oh, this is so important. In Christian circles, we make the gospel more about our response to Christ than Christ himself. The proof behind it is a testimonies. When we give testimonies, we have a tendency to talk about us instead of exalting Christ a lot. Christ, Christ, it's about him. It's about him. He's not the subject of our conversation, but he's the good news. Is he the subject of your conversations, ladies and gentlemen? Is he who you talk about? I'm ashamed of this. I've had Keena in our house all week. 
she stayed with it. I was, I was thinking, I was reflecting. I'm reflecting on this. I'm wondering, did I talk about Jesus much with you? Was he the number one conversation in my house? Or was it do this, do that, don't do this, do that? Stop crying. Stop fighting. Stop this. Christ Jesus is Lord. He's the good news. Is he your topic of conversation? All the time, believer. He's Lord. By the way, how we respond to him does not change whether he's the good news. If somebody doesn't repent and believe, guess what? He's still the good news. (laughs) He's the good news. We make church services often way too much about us. Not enough about Christ. Our lives must be about Him. Our services must be about Him. Who is your life about? Who are you about? Exalting Christ or exalting self? He's the good news, not us. But he came for us. Jesus is the king. He's the subject of the good news. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you. In the city of David, again pointing what? To his Davidic kingship, his royal status. He's the king of Israel. Second, Jesus is the savior Born for you, a Savior. A Savior is born. Jesus is the Deliverer. He is the one who delivers from sin and just punishment. I I, I was intrigued by something. Um, I saw, uh, Ronaldo, help me. Sign, everybody turn around and look at Ronaldo for a second. Stand up. Stand up, Ronaldo. You signed it this way this morning. Salvation. Salvation. You signed it. Salvation. Okay, there's two ways to sign salvation. Is that not right? Or is there only one? One. Yeah, that's the way they did it. Okay, what does that sign make it all about? Salvation. Interpret. Interpret him. We're interacting. Yeah. Okay. He'll 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 interpret for Ronaldo. To change. To transformation. Which points to the whole concept of Christ, what he did. Uh-huh. It's the action. Okay. Thank you. I'm learning from the pulpit. 
I just think it's so important, even when I was looking at ASLpro.com. I think even in our science, we can have a tendency to exalt self. Exalt what we do. Salvation. The action we do. Now, there is a transformation. But ultimately, all of it, we're transformed. Why? Because of Christ. He's the good news. We make it about what we do instead about who he is. And I see this even in my own life throughout the week. I did this. I don't do that. I do this. I don't do that. Exaltation of self. Instead of exaltation of Christ. And who he is and what he's done. Look, he's the savior. He's the deliverer. He's the freedom giver. He's the one that provides liberty. He's the one that provides atonement. He's the Savior, not us. He saves us. He rescues us. But He's the Savior. He's the good news. You must examine this. You must think on this. You must look at your life. Is your life about Christ or is your life about yourself? Jesus is the Christ who is the Christ. The title is used over 500 times in the Bible. The title means the anointed one. The one who is appointed by God to carry out the great task. It signifies Jesus as the anointed king and savior and prophet. The anointed one. It expresses the office of his messiahship or his kingship and his function. In Luke 4, 18, it says, Jesus said these words. He read them and applied them to himself. And he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are opposed. Now, what's important about this passage? He preaches the good news. Proclaim release. How are they released? Him. He's the releaser. He's the one that gives sight to the blind. He's the one that frees those who are oppressed. Oppressed by what? Sin and bondage. You want to get you want to get sin out of your life? You need Christ. You need him to help you. The exaltation of Christ again. Well, I just do it. I discipline myself. Well, you better discipline yourself trusting in Christ to deliver you. Committed to him and exalting him or you ain't going to do it. You might do it, but your heart won't be right. You won't be submitted to him. You won't do it to honor him. How many times do we talk about this in our house? We talk about this with our children constantly. Do this, and they do it with this. Okay, I'll do it. I did it. 
What? I did it! No. You didn't do it. You did? Or you didn't? Well, I picked it up! Well, your heart wasn't submitted to Christ. You weren't honoring Christ as you were doing that. You weren't thinking, Christ, my deliverer! Here, I'll do this for you! My mom and dad are put there because of you. I want to honor you, Christ. This is yours. You say, oh, we just picked on our kids. You adults do it too. All the time. You're good. We're all great legalists. We're good at it. We're not about exalting the Savior. Christ deserves our obedience. He's worthy. He's good news. He saved me. And He's delivering me. He's transforming me. He's the Lord. Who is Christ the Lord? He's deity. He's in control. He's God in flesh. This isn't just a term of respect. He's God. Does he drive your thoughts? Does he drive your thinking? What your actions? He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The announcement is supported by a sign. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Jesus is the baby in the feeding trough. Again, we saw last week, this was the least expected place for a Messiah. But God picked this to be the sign. To show that Jesus was the good news. He's done this before. He's used a sign to verify the message, right? But here we have Jesus. The sign is that he's a baby laying in a feeding trough. (sighs) Folks, this has got to be the most convicting, some of the most convicting words in all the Bible for me. The more I meditate on the glory of Christ before he came. He was God. Full glory. With the Father and the Spirit forever in eternity. Perfect relationship. All the angels worshipped him. Day and night. All the time. God in a feeding trough. That should just startle you. That should humble you. And anytime anybody in this planet says, I deserve better, they have forgotten the feeding trough. They have forgotten the manger. 
If you think you deserve a better job, you've forgotten the feeding trough. If you think you deserve better parents, you've forgotten the feeding trough. If you think you deserve a better house, car, people treat you better, you've forgotten the feeding trough. But more importantly, you've forgotten the cross. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the feeding trough was just the beginning. The wrath of God poured out on the Son of God. He grew up, died, taking our wrath. The glorious Lord of the universe. Ladies and gentlemen, this is good news. This is good news. So November 15th, 2006, Abraham Shakespeare received news he was rich. He was a millionaire. At first glance, he probably thought every problem he had was gone. But in fact, the opposite was true. Today, the only thing that matters is whether Abraham Shakespeare received Christ Jesus, the only true good news. That's all that matters. For if he's dead and he didn't receive the good news of Christ Jesus, his life is now all about judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know the good news? Now, I'm not just saying, do you get what I'm saying? Got some facts? Have you submitted your heart? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in that Lord to save you? He is the good news. Today, tomorrow, and forever. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. We thank you for...